Welcome to West Quasset Chapel's podcast. For more information, visit us online at westquassettchapel.com. Good morning. Uh, my name is Ben Bostaff, and I serve as one of the elders here at West Quasset Chapel. I have the privilege of opening God's Word with you this morning. Pastor Joe's out of town. He's spending some time with his dad, and uh, I just pray that you would pray for his safe return and just also continue to pray for him in general. I'm very grateful God has called Pastor Joe here to serve in northern Minnesota. Uh, I was reminded the other week that Joe's now been here 14 years, that God has called him and his family to serve here, and I just pray there will be many, many, many more. Today we'll be in the Old Testament book of Ruth. Um, later this summer, Joe has some more vacation um, coming, and during those weeks we will be also be studying the book of Ruth. Today, with God's help, we'll be working through uh, the first chapter. Uh, it can be found on page 187 in the Seat Bible. That's either in front of you or below you. Um, we're going to read the entire chapter, and then we're going to ask God's help um, to work through it. chapter reads as follows. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His, wife na- his wife's name was Naomi. And the names of their two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Epaphrodites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech and Naomi's husband, now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died as she left with, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Oprah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you uh, will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye and they wept aloud. And they said to her, we will, we will go back with you to you and your people. But Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? I am, am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait for them until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this, they wept aloud, aloud, excuse me, at this, they wept aloud again. Then Oprah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and to her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, do not urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, if it ever be so severely, even if death separates you and me. 
when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went, uh, went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Lord Father God, again, we come before you. We want to thank you again for today. We want to thank you again for bringing us together to worship you, to fellowship with each other, We also want to thank You for Your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because without Him, there is no forgiveness. Without Him, there is no redemption. We pray that You would help us this morning as we, uh, starting into the book of Ruth, You would pray that You'd help us to, again, as it is a book of redemption, uh, it is a book, again, about being redeemed, Lord Father. We pray that we would begin to unpack and understand that. We just pray for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Families. Families do lots of things together. When I was a kid, some of the things that we would do and we still do is play games at the dining room table. Sometimes we would go into the yard and play can jam or ladder ball. But other times we would watch TV together. One of the shows we watched was called America's Funniest Home Videos. At that time, the late Bob Saget was the host. Uh, And if you've never seen the show before, you've probably seen the YouTube videos of people doing crazy things. America's Funniest Home Videos would have segments of cute little kids doing their cute little kid thing, and they'd have segments of animals doing their thing, and they'd have segments of these bizarre one-in-a-million-chance things happening. But I think my favorite segment was with the people doing dumb things. The kind of thing that you could step back from afar and see, yeah, that's not going to work out. And yet they attempt it anyways. I'm sure you've seen the one, the guy that makes the makeshift scaffolding to clean the leaves out of his gutter. And of course, through no fault of his own, he is now hanging from the gutter, wishing he had not had that second helping of cherry pie. You've seen the one that someone has warned, be careful outside, it's slippery. But instead of heeding that warning, they head out anyway. Moments later, wishing they had heeded that advice. And now they have this tailbone pain that they are richly enjoying. Mistakes. If we're honest with ourselves, we've made lots of them. Not only have we made lots of mistakes, but there are many mistakes we wish we could correct. We wish we could rewind the clock. We wish we could do things differently. The first chapter of Ruth, as we read, is loaded with mistakes. And not just, oh, I forgot to water the houseplant kind of mistakes, but big, huge, massive, life-altering mistakes. Now, please keep in mind, there's three more chapters of Ruth, which we're not going to deal with today. So I don't mean to be a downer because we're dealing a lot with mistakes. Um, But uh, those will be unpacked later this summer. So feel free to skip ahead. (laughs) But again, I also want to remind you, the book of Ruth is a book about redemption. And just to foreshadow a little bit, it says, again, remember, Ruth was the mother of Obed. 
Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse is the father of David, the same King David who's in the part of the genealogy of Christ. So even with all these mistakes we're going to cover today, God's hand was still in all of it. So our first point on the back of your worship folder is called Mistaken Journey. We're going to go back to our text to read verses 1 and 2. It says, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi, and the names of their two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Epaphrodites from Bethlehem in Judah, and they went to Moab to live there. So this is the time frame. It's the time frame of the judges. If you were to look on a timeline, this is from when Joshua died and before King Saul. That's the time frame that we're dealing with in Israel's history. Um, the promise that God had made to Abraham had come true in Joshua's lifetime. Israel's in the promised land. The whole wandering in the desert thing is over. The Israelites have crossed the Jordan River. God has helped them conquer the many kingdoms that were in the land that God had given them. And then the land has also been divided up amongst the tribes of Israel as their inheritance. In about the year 1356, that's roughly when Joshua died. And then in the year about 12, excuse me, it'll be 1356 BC. And then in about the year 1294 BC, that's roughly when Elimelech, Elimelech, Naomi, and their family left for Moab. That's about a 72 year chunk of time. Now, Bethlehem is slightly north. So if you're looking at a map, we're going to have the Dead Sea right here. Bethlehem is slightly north and a little further west. And Moab is on the southeastern shore of the Dead Sea. And by the way, Moab's also outside the promised land. Hold up, wait a minute. You mean that can't be right? Elimelech and his family are leaving the promised land? Really? They're leaving the promised land? This is where God has told them they are supposed to be? There's no question about it. God said to Abraham, I'm going to give you a place. I'm going to make you a great nation. And, and Moses and the wandering through the deserts and they sent out the spies and they saw the promised land and Joshua's gone in and they've conquered it all. This is where God wants them. There's no question. And Elimelech is choosing to leave. Again, remember, this was only like a 72-year time span from when Joshua died. That means there's probably still people around that knew Joshua, that had had, had, had conversations with Joshua, that probably even fought with Joshua in battle. There's probably these people are still around. And yet, even with all of that, they're choosing to leave. Well, why? Why are they leaving? Scripture tells us there was a famine. So the first time we encounter a speed bump, should we jump ship? Should we get out of the will of God? Has anyone ever followed God and been in the will of God? Have they encountered obstacles? Is it possible to be in the will of God and also have roadblocks? Is it a good idea to try and solve these things and then fill God in with what we decided to do? Now, Elimelech did not have the benefit of the whole Bible at his fingertips, just the first, few, the first several books. So let's look at an example that he would have been able to look at. Let's look at Joseph. Genesis chapters 37 through 50, Joseph followed God's will. I would say he had some obstacles in his life. From his family, slavery, prison, famine, his family again, and yet Joseph sought and followed after God. 
Because Joseph was in God's will, we can see God's hand in blessing him, caring for him no matter what earthly thing happened. Let's contrast that with the story of Abraham. Did Abraham have smooth sailing and following God's will? Well, let's, look, let's quickly recap just one part of Abraham's life. In Genesis 12 through 20, chapters 12 through 20, God calls Abram. Now remember, this is before God changed his name to Abraham. So God calls Abram and promises him that he will lead him to a land that God will show him. And then secondly, that Abraham will be made into a great nation and that Abraham will be blessed so that he can bless others, so that he can be a blessing. So what does Abraham do? He's called, he's Abram's called. He lies to the Pharaoh of Egypt. He brings sickness upon Pharaoh's household. He gets separated from his nephew, Lot, and consequently has to rescue Lot because of Lot's bad choices. Abram and his wife, Sarai, don't have any kids, so they're trying to get this whole great nation thing moving forward. So instead of trusting God, they take matters into their own hands, and Sarai gives her maidservant, Hagar, to Abram have a second wife to try and bear children through her. Needless to say, that creates a few ripples in the family. We see that Abram tried to use his own wisdom instead of seeking God's wisdom. Abram now has a mess on his hands. What's the difference? Don't both Joseph and Abraham have problems? The difference was is Joseph's not trying to clean up the mess that he made. Instead, Joseph is allowing God to use him wherever God led him. Abraham spent his time trying to make God's will happen. He spent the time trying to become a great nation. And while he was trying to do that, he ended up hurting people around him instead of blessing them. Joseph did not spend his days trying to make the dreams come true that God had given him earlier. Instead, he left the outcome in God's hands. Another example that I wanted to bring up that obviously Elimelech didn't have uh, reference to was Christ. Here's Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane praying to God, God, I really don't want to drink this cup. I don't want to go to the cross and die. Okay, but instead of Christ seeking his own wisdom, he seeks the wisdom of God and he says, not my will, but yours be done. Amen for that. So anyways, unfortunately, Elimelech also takes matters into his own hands. He leaves his inheritance and he chooses to go live a life that God has not called him to live. He brings his family into a life that God has not called his family to live. This choice is a mistake, and this mistake leads to more mistakes. What happens when we know that we are in a place where God has us and we encounter something difficult? When we are in God's will, are we trying to make His will happen, or are we let, letting God direct us? Are we seeking what God's will is, or are we just doing stuff and telling God later, I hope this is really what you wanted? Again, Elimelech does not follow God's will. He's supposed to be in the promised land. That is clear. There's no, there's no question about it. This is where God has placed Israel. And yet, instead of trusting God for the famine, like everybody else who's still in Israel, he has decided to leave. Our second point, mistaken marriages. Now we are told that Elimelech dies and that Naomi is left with their two sons and she allows them to get married to Moabite women. 
In verses 3 and 5 read as follows, Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. They had lived there about ten years. Both Malon and Kilion also died, and Naomi was left without her sons and her husband. Now we're not told the reason or how Naomi's husband died. We just know that she's left with two sons. We also know that in Deuteronomy, which obviously they're familiar with, because it's in the first five books of the Bible, that God tells the Israelites not to marry foreigners, not to marry people that didn't follow God. He specifically says that because he doesn't want the Israelites to be led astray. There's no ifs, ands, or buts around it. God said it. But yet Naomi here is willing and allows both sons to marry Moabite women. After being in Moab for 10 years, her sons die. Like Naomi's husbands, we are not told for the reason or why or how their sons die. But now all she has is her daughter-in-laws, Orpah and Ruth. So what's the big deal? Three widows hanging out together. They have each other, right? How are they going to survive? The two groups of people that in most cultures that live in abject poverty are orphans and widows. Most of them don't have the means to make ends meet. What's Naomi going to do? She decides to go home, back where she came from. She decides that this is her chance for survival. It'd be easier to go home than to try and make it here, but this is a big problem. What's the big problem, we ask? If she goes back home, she has to face all the people that she left. She has these two Moabite daughter-in-laws that she would rather the rest of everybody back home didn't even know about. She's a widow. She's returning without her husband, without her sons. This is going to be viewed as God was punishing her for her own sins. She has to go back and her mistakes and her sins are going to be laid bare for all to see. Okay, raise your hand if that's something you would enjoy doing. Knowing that you've made really big mistakes, knowing that you've sinned against God, and now you have to have it revealed in full knowledge of everybody. Who's looking forward to that? Oh boy, I get to be shamed and shunned by all the people I know. Let's go. All the dumb choices I made. Sounds wonderful, right? Actually, pretty hard to think of a more uncomfortable position to be in. But this is where Naomi's at. Can you see the rationalizing that's going on in her mind? Can you see the wheels turning of of what she's thinking and going through? Uh, The third point and our longest point is mistaken reactions. Back to our text, verses 6 and 7 read, When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of His people, providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-laws prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place she had been living and set out on the road that would take them to the land of Juna. So again, all three ladies are preparing to set out and go back to Israel. Naomi had come again to the conclusion that it would be better to scratch an existence together back in Israel than in the foreign land. She felt that maybe God could actually help the three of them there better than where they were at. So in verse 7, we see that they are on their way back. But in verses 8 and 9, Naomi has second thoughts. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. 
May the Lord grant you each, uh, each of you, may the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. This is Naomi's first mistaken reaction. Do you really think at that moment she had Orpah's and Ruth's best interest in mind? We have zero evidence that Naomi sought the wisdom of God in telling her daughter-in-laws to go back and find another husband in Moab. Instead, it looks very much like Naomi is trying to work out in her own mind how she can soften the blow of going home. How can I get back to where God wanted me to be in the first place, and how can I make it best for me? In other words, she's asking herself the question, how can I make God's will happen? Let me decide what I think God's will is, and then I'll tell God about it when it's done. Now again, starting with myself, do we walk down similar lines of thinking when we are out of God's will? We know what God wants. We know where He has us. And we are almost to that point where we're ready to submit to God. And then we interject our own thoughts and the reason and the best way we think that God should unfold His will. And then we try and make that happen. It took Naomi 10 years, 10 years to move back towards the will of God. And yet she is still resistant instead of fully submitting to God. As a reader, we almost can't believe what we're reading. Naomi thought it would be better for her daughters-in-law to forget about God and ignore him the rest of their lives. So it's just so she could save face. Think about how messed up that is. She disguises this concern when in reality she's most likely only thinking about herself. Could you imagine saying to someone, don't worry about the one and whole and the the one and only true God thing. Life's just too tough right now to think about God. Just be concerned about things of this world. Wait, what? Did that really just happen? Can you think of a more terrible line of thinking? Can you think of a more terrible line of reasoning and rationale? Even though Naomi had left her family and left the promised land, they still tried to practice some form of religion, some form of being Jewish, and follow some of the ways that God had written in the laws of Moses. Now, we're not told specifically how or what, but whatever it is, it has had an impact on Oprah and Ruth. Because we see their reactions in the second half of verse 9 and verse 10. She, uh, then she, Naomi, kissed them goodbye and wept aloud. And they said to her, speaking of the two daughters-in-law, we will go back with you to you and your people. The impact that God had already had in the lives of Oprah and Ruth was positive, And they knew what Naomi was going to be facing. In that moment, they were ready to go and face it with her. Then comes Naomi's second mistake reaction. Verses 11 through 13, it reads as follows. But Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. And even if if there still was hope, even if they had a husband tonight and gave birth to sons, would you really wait for them to grow up? Would you remain unmarried until then? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Naomi is now doubling down trying to make God's will happen Naomi's way. She has now mixed and twisted the Word of God to argue to what she has felt best. She feels what would be best. 
Now, in the Jewish culture, if a man died without any sons to carry on his line, the man's brother would marry his wife. And that would preserve the family line and preserve the inheritance. Naomi is saying to them, it is impossible for God to take care of you and life is just too hard. Do we ever find ourselves twisting God's word to get it to say what we want it to say? Do we view God's word through the lens of life? Or do we view life through the lens of God's word? At this moment, Oprah leaves. We see this in verse 14. At this, they wept aloud again. Oprah kissed her mother-in-law and goodbye, and Ruth clung to her. It didn't take much to push Oprah away, but Ruth did not budge. Naomi viewed her daughters-in-law as a burden she was trying to unload. Again, starting with myself, do we do this? Do we try and push away the burdens of life instead of seeking God's help with them? How awful would it be if we knew we were the reason that we pushed somebody away from God, especially because we were only focused on ourselves? What are the two greatest commandments? Jesus tells us in Matthew 22 that we are to love God and love others. How is pushing someone away from God loving We need to make sure that we lay our motives at God's feet. And we need to make sure that they honor first Him and then others. How can we say that if we push someone away from God, that's loving? that, That doesn't make sense. Those are contrary to each other. A loveless Christianity is no Christianity at all. Naomi's third mistake reaction is she doubles down again. Verse 13, excuse me, verse 15. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. Naomi, Naomi is using more reasoning from the world. Go look, see what everyone else is doing? Go on, you know, just... Naomi is still trying to make God's will happen of getting back to the promised land where she's supposed to be on her own terms instead of God. Can't we see ourselves in this position still not quite ready to fully surrender to God? Obviously, Ruth is not buying this line of garbage. We see this in verses 16 through 18. But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you from you and me. When Naomi realized Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. Ruth was putting God first and following him no matter how bleak life looked. And on top of that, she was not going to forsake her mother-in-law just because she had a, probably a really good chance at an easier life. Ruth was loving God first and loving others second. The exact opposite of what Naomi was doing. But guess what? Naomi's not finished with her mistakes. Verse 19 through 22. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she said. Call me Mara. Because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full and the Lord has brought me back empty. It says, why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. 
The Almighty has brought this misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. So Naomi and Ruth arrive in Bethlehem, and of course, the shame is going to start coming. Can't this be Naomi? I mean, can't you get the little buzz, the, 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 the gossip, the, the, you know, man, she's been gone for a long time. I wonder what happened. Wait a minute. Where's, where's the husband? Where's the son she left with? They're not here. I mean, can't you just see all this going on in and amongst the people around her? Naomi had a long journey. Again, as we described geographically where they were, the Moab between and Bethlehem had a long journey to play out in her mind how this is going to go down. Don't we do this? Don't we try and plan conversations, interactions before they happen? Especially when maybe it's not going to be a really pleasant conversation. Or maybe it's just me, but like I try and figure out what I'm going to say, and then I try and figure out what they might say, and then I try and figure out how I'm going to respond to what they may or may not say. That's a mess. <laughs> it's an absolute mess. Naomi's response is not any different. She wants to change her name from Naomi which means beautiful, pleasant, delightful. And she wants to change it tomorrow, which means bitter. She de- does she decide she's going to head things off and go on the record and she's just going to deal with the sin and the mess right away? No, that's not why she's doing it. She changes her name so that anytime someone calls out, anytime someone thinks of her, they will know how miserable she is. Why does that sound familiar? Let's take a moment and think. Oh yeah, that's like what we do when we go on social media and post, woe is me. We of people have not changed. Just the delivery method has changed. You also notice in that scripture how Naomi blames God. I was full when the Lord brought, I was full. She was full and the Lord brought me back empty. The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty brought misfortune upon me. Wait a minute, this is not God's fault. This is a result of Naomi's mistakes. There it was in chapter 1, Naomi leaves. She leaves with her husband. They, 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 they live in Moab for 10 years. They're out of the promised land. That's not God's fault. That's choices that they make. Now, chapter 1 of Ruth, that's where we leave Naomi. We're not quite done but we're going to leave Naomi there for a moment. Remember when we started, we said Ruth is a book about redemption. Again, Naomi is at a place where she feels she is beyond redemption. There is a good chance that those observing her have a similar outlook on her situation. They may feel she is beyond redemption because all of the mistakes that she has made. She has made those choices. She has now got it. She's made her bed. She's got to lie in it. What about today? Have people ever felt that they were beyond redemption? Oh, Christ can't save me. You don't, you don't know what I've done. I, I can't be saved. Do we see others? And do we feel that they are beyond redemption? I'll bring up a really something current. If you haven't paid attention to the news over the past few days, you missed it. The Supreme Court overturned Roe versus Wade. This decision has brought all sorts of stuff and comments to the surface. There are some people who are the opponents of this decision that some feel are beyond lost, beyond redemption. You don't have to look very hard to see this opinion. What if that decision, 
that was made a few days ago was reversed? What if it reverted back to the way it's been for the past 50 years? What then? What does the Bible tell us? How how are we supposed to handle those things? What does the Bible tell us? Romans 8, 28 and verses 35 and 39 say, first first, uh, verse 28, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or uh, nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, nor present nor future, nor any powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That exact same power that keeps us from being separated from Christ is the exact same power that redeems the lost. Wouldn't it be very strange for us as Christians to believe what those verses say and then look at someone else and say, you know what, they don't believe what I do, they don't stand for what I stand for, they're beyond redemption. It would be very strange for us to read those verses and say, God is 100%, 110% in control, and then try and take everything into our own hands and make God's will happen. Remember verse 28, Romans chapter 8? He works out all things. And how are they worked out? According to His purposes. So no matter the mistakes, no matter what others have done, no matter what we have done, God is still in the business of redemption. No matter how lost somebody is, no matter how far gone we have gone, God is still in the business of redemption. And that doesn't mean, okay, God, how can I screw up today to see you correct that? That's not what we're saying. But we are saying that even though we make mistakes, and guess what? Naomi and her family made loads of them, and we're going to find out how they're redeemed uh, later when we get into chapters 2, 3, and 4. But again, no matter what's been happened, God is still in the business of redemption. We should be in the same business of redemption as well. We should be sharing the message of Christ with others. I really appreciate that Earl and Lexi, we were singing, uh, There is a Redeemer. What a beautiful, beautiful song. Nobody is too far gone. God is in the business of redemption. I'm going to pray here in a minute and then give a benediction. If you have any questions about Ruth or Christ as a Redeemer, I'd love to sit and chat with you. Lord, Father God, again, we, we come before You. We thank You again for today. We thank You for Your Word. And and as we're diving into the book of Ruth, Lord Father, and we know redemption's coming, Lord. We haven't dealt with it yet in the Scriptures, Lord, but we see a lot of mistakes. We can identify with mistakes, Lord Father. We make them all the time. Lord, we just pray that You would first and foremost help us to put You first and to put others second. Lord, we pray that we would be Christ to those around us. Lord, we pray that we would not hold anyone in a light that is beyond redemption because 
That is not possible, Lord, because again, you are the one that was pierced for our transgressions. You were crushed for our iniquities. It was by your wounds that we are healed. And that is for everybody. Lord, again, we just thank you and we love you. We, we just pray for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, just a reminder, it's a benediction. God's in the business of redemption. So should we. Thank you for listening this week. If you were helped or encouraged by this sermon, please share it with others. For additional information, visit us online at westquestchapel.com. There you'll find other resources to connect you to Christ in His church. Also, we invite you to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or our YouTube channel. We hope you join us again next week as we grow together in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.